Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, truly, I do not know how to speak for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a boy for you shall go to all to all to whom I send you and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Oh, I love these verses. They... Awaken the rabble rouser in me, and I cannot wait to unleash them on all of us today. But before I do that, I, I just have this sense of gratitude that I, I need to give some voice to right now. Um, as you could tell, uh, Tamara was not on the platform. She is here today, but she texted me yesterday and said, I have zero voice, zero voice. So I'm grateful that Tamara has put together the kind of team that can still come and lead us in worship as powerfully as they have today. And wow, is there a song that is better for Epiphany than So Will I? Just thank you guys. The wow of Epiphany is captured captured in a song like So Will I. So thank you very much. And thank you for indulging me. I love preaching during Epiphany, and I love preaching sermons that have somehow something to do with baseball and all God's people said. Amen. I love it. And we have another one today. Have you ever seen the movie Moneyball? Uh, We'll get to it. But it's about analytics. Now, according to the Oxford Dictionary, analytics... It uh, describes the systematic computational analysis of data or statistics. Amen. Or the results from the systematic analysis of data or statistics. And I'm telling you, analytics, they have invaded the sports scene. They have invaded especially the professional sports landscape. And there are people who have studied so many statistics and they have said, okay, the things that we used to think made for winning baseball don't. It's something else now. And these people have so invaded the league that it has absolutely infuriated a lot of the Yankee people. It's absolutely infuriated what I would call the old power structure of baseball because now you can emphasize little things like on-base percentage, and perhaps that has more to do with winning a game than the number of home runs that someone will hit in a given year. That's what the story of Moneyball is all about. Now, the actions that take place in this movie are depicted in 2001 and 2-ish, a little bit beyond that even, But the film was made in 2011, 2011. On the left-hand side over here are the actual people. On the top there, that's Billy Bean, who still works for the Oakland A's. And that is Paul D. Podesta, 
Uh, he ended up being the guy who helped to install this new way of thinking. He helped. Now, Brad Pitt played Billy Bean, and Jonah Hill played. He didn't even want to use his real name, Paul D. Podesta. So in the movie, he was named Peter Brand. So he played Peter Brand, who was actually this D. Paul, uh, Paul D. Podesta person. And, and here's what had happened. The A's lost again to the Yankees. Lost again. And to make bad matters worse, after they lost to the Yankees, they then lost their best players to the Yankees. Like the A's had a really good first baseman by the name of Jason Giambi. Big, sort of hulking sort of first baseman. He hit 38 home runs for the A's the year that they did pretty well. And then he signed a free agent deal to play for, yep, the Yankees because they could afford it and the A's could not. Well, the A's are just heartbroken. It wasn't just that they lost Jason Giambi. They lost Jason Isringhausen, their best pitcher. They also lost Johnny Damon, a really good but weird outfielder. They lost him too. And they really couldn't compete. They really couldn't compete. Well, that's when Peter Brand shows up. And he has a new way of thinking about baseball. And more specifically, it's a new way of thinking about successful baseball. Take a listen. So using this equation in the upper left right here, I'm projecting that we need to win at least 99 games in order to make it to the postseason. We need to score at least 814 runs in order to win those games and allow no more than 645 runs. What's this? This is the code that I've written for our year-to-year -year projections. This is building in all the intelligence that we have to project players. Okay. It's about getting things down to one number. Using the stats the way we read them, we'll find value in players that nobody else can see. People are overlooked for a variety of biased reasons and perceived flaws. Age, appearance, personality. Bill James and mathematics cut straight through that. Billy, of the 20,000 notable players for us to consider, I believe that there's a championship team of 25 people that we could afford because everyone else in baseball undervalues them. Like an island of misfit toys. Billy, this is Chad Bradford. He's a relief pitcher. He is one of the most undervalued players in baseball. His defect is that he throws funny. Nobody in the big leagues cares about him because he looks funny. This guy could be not just the best pitcher in our bullpen, but one of the most effective relief pitchers in all of baseball. This guy should cost $3 million a year. We can get him for $237,000. question is pretty simple. How can we compete with the Yankees? How, how can we compete with the Red Sox? How can we compete with my beloved big spending Texas Rangers who seem to really enjoy just burning a million dollar bills on a yearly basis? Anywho. <laughs> how can we compete? Well, here's how they're going to compete. They're going to challenge the status quo. 
I should have said shout out right then to in Shane Membrane. I'm sorry about that. I should have said shout out. Anywho. Yeah, shout out. That's what I should have said. They have to challenge the status quo. And here's another way to say that. They have to challenge the way that everybody else defines success. And not just challenge it, but then offer an alternative, an alternative definition of success. Now, here's the thing. I'll give away a little bit of it. This, this works. This works. What they're talking about doing, and as they have gone about it for the last 20 years, it works. They can feel a competitive, consistent product. Now, where do you think most of the resistance came from? It wasn't really from the Yankees. It was from inside the house. <laughs> His own scouts were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We want to do things the way we've been doing things. We want to define success the way that we've been defining success. We want to tell you which guys look good. And I kid you not, in this particular clip, I, I left this part out, but we're going to watch another clip here in a second. But we're coming to this clip after one of the scouts has said, you can't trust that ball player. His girlfriend's ugly. He obviously lacks, lacks confidence. That's the science they were using to find the players that were going to replace Jason Giambi. Now, um, there's not necessarily foul language in here, but there's distasteful language in here. But I left it in there because, you know, it's baseball, right? <laughs> but listen as Billy Bean tries to challenge the status quo, and then listen as the status quo pushes back. Guys are just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We're very aware of the problem. I mean... Okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace... Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. What's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. It's an unfair game. And now we've been gutted. Organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys. Yankees taking our heart. And you guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense like we're selling jeans. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. We are the last dog at the bowl. You see what happens to the runt of the litter? He dies. Billy, that's a very touching story and everything, but I think we're all very much aware of what we're facing here. You have a lot of experience and wisdom in this room. Now, you need to have a little bit of faith and let us do the job of replacing Giambi. Is there another first baseman like Giambi? No, not really. No. And if there was, could we afford him? No. Nope. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. Boy, that sounds like fortune cookie wisdom to me, Billy. No, that's just logic. Who's Fabio? He's a shortstop. He's a shortstop. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
The reality is that more and more teams have adopted this particular new strategy. In fact, the Boston Red Sox would tell you this is how they won their last championship. The game has, in fact, changed significantly. Now, there was heartache. There was a lot of heartache. There was resistance. There was hostility. And from his own people, after so much tearing down, Billy Bean and the A's led the effort then to rebuild and to plant. Does that sound a little bit familiar? So, in our story today that we will tell about the prophet Jeremiah, you need to know that it's about much more than the prophet Jeremiah. It is much, much more about God and God's hunger for change, but not just for change's sake. There is an alternative to be heard here, an alternative that leads to restoration and newness and beginning. But Jeremiah was the messenger and the vessel. The first three verses that we didn't read today tell us he was from Anatote, a little community outside of Jerusalem. Yes, it's where the prophets were often raised, but not the ones that took up residence inside of the castle, inside of the, inside of the walls of the city, where the, the most well-dressed prophets actually took their seats around the table of the king. No, these were the agitators and the irritants. These prophets were the ones that you just sort of, oh, you just roll your eyes and you shrug your shoulders, you take a deep breath when you see somebody like Jeremiah coming. That's the kind of prophet Jeremiah was. Maybe you've heard of him referred to as the weeping prophet. But it also tells us that Jeremiah served for a very long time. As you heard, he was called at a very, very young age. How young? Don't know. Probably he was a teenager. It also says that he served under three different kings, so three different administrations, if you will, long enough to see the words of God, the hard ones, come to fruition. He served under Josiah, who tried to reform, and actually the kingdom perhaps was at its healthiest under King Josiah, but then came the other kings that slowly but surely wandered into oncoming traffic. Jeremiah was serving and prophesying when they finally tore down the walls and absolutely obliterated Jerusalem, did the Babylonians. He lived long enough to see all of this stuff come to light. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you, I set you aside for a specific purpose. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's, that's heavy stuff, right? Difficult things that we don't necessarily like to hear coming from the mouth of our compassionate God. So did Jeremiah have no choice? Was he actually predestined? We now as readings get very nervous around this word predestination. But the answer is perhaps. If we're gonna take these words at face value, then perhaps. But, but not necessarily where salvation is concerned, and that's where we get really nervous about a word like predestination. So not where salvation is concerned, but where his life and role would be concerned. In other words, Jeremiah is like Oklahoma City First Church. Just like you and me and us. Is everybody still aware that we don't just attend this place that we call the church? Does everybody recognize that we are the church? We have long known that we were and are chosen. In fact, 
Before any of us had a chance to say yes or no, God said the yes for all of us. As the people of God, known as the church, we were identified and chosen to be God's partners and embodiers. A prophetic community designed to give voice and tangibility to the nature and purposes of God. Whether or not you understand that to be your individual calling, like I do, by virtue of belonging to a body like this one, especially for all of those of you, all of you who have been baptized, you belong to a movement, a campaign, an initiative, an effort to be the faithful and prophetic, prophetic body of Christ. Seems like we ought to go over what we mean when we say prophecy again, okay? Do we mean prediction? Well, not really, but kind of. Not prediction like you can take a prophet with you and say, hey, let me know which horses are going to win the horse races so that I can win a bunch of money. Not prediction like that. But I guess prediction in the sense that you can say to that person going to the horse races, man, if you keep gambling on horses, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your family. Is that a prediction? I don't know. It's prophecy. Prophets didn't so much foretell the future as they warned of the future as the people of God wandered away from the purposes and the heart and the character and the nature of God. Prophecy is more than prediction. Frankly, prophecy is harder than prediction. And here's why. Prophets and prophecies always seem to bring the enemies and the opposites and the irritants, those people and those opinions, postured, angled, and organized against out of the woodwork. <laughs> Young Jeremiah seems to understand this, and he is right to be worried. In fact, I'm worried for Jeremiah as I read it. Then Jeremiah said, oh, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know how to talk. I'm just a little guy. How can I do this? Actually, it's a pretty typical response to being called by God to do anything, and not just in Scripture, but any time. And I'm not just talking about Jeremiah. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. How often might we be the people who say, oh, whew, I don't think I can say that to this group. I don't think I can do it. I don't, I don't think I can be a prophetic presence the way that you want me to be. This is the age-old misstep and misconception of the called. Now, have you heard this phrase? If it is to be, it's up to me. You ever heard that one? Yeah. You ever said it out loud? Yep. Me too. And in fact, as it has to do with stuff like the yard and the laundry and messes of various kinds, I think it might actually be true. But when it comes to answering the call of God to be a prophetic and faithful presence in the world, it couldn't be farther from the truth. In fact, it's so far off that God, the one who calls and resources and equips and makes all of the guarantees, that God seems annoyed. <laughs> but the Lord said to me, don't say that. Stop saying I am only a boy. Because here's the thing, you're gonna go to everybody I send you to, and you're gonna say what I tell you to say. Eh, that seems harsh and heavy-handed, but here's what it is. God is confident in God's ability to make this happen and work in and through Jeremiah. 
Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. You know, there's some evidence, and not just in this chapter, but throughout, that Jeremiah is still not convinced. And again, I kind of get what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah's saying, yeah, but Lord, this could get really ugly. I know these folks you're sending me to. They don't just have echo chambers. They seem to live in their echo chambers. Not only that, but they seem willing to do violence to protect their ideas, their baked-in opinions and biases. Look how they treated your prophets, says Jeremiah later. And I would add, yeah, look what they did to Jesus. Another passage I could have used today was found in Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to read this chunk to you. Jesus began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He had just read a passage of scripture that says that God wants to do this jubilee, this new thing, where there is release for captives, recovery of sight for the blind, the year of the Lord's favor. And at that point, the people in Jesus' hometown where he was reading were like, oh yes, leaning back and forth, clucking their amens and saying, we love this young man. We love this young man, and we love all the cool things that he's going to bring to our hometown. Amen. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son one of our own? And then Jesus said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Dr. Cure Yourself, and you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard you did in Capernaum. Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in that prophet's hometown. Whew, this world starts to get ugly for the prophet here. But the truth is, there were lots of widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of the hometown women but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. They started to grit their teeth. Verse 27 and there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was claimed except your enemy, Naaman the Syrian. In other words, just because you are listed amongst the people of God, you still have to be the people of God. <laughs> and by the way, God loves people who are not listed amongst the people of God. Verse 28, now they're doing more than just gritting their teeth. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they got up, and they drove their hometown boy out of town, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. Welcome home, Jesus. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Now hear this. This is what prophets face. This is what a prophetic community faces. What Jesus said is what they needed to hear. What Jesus said was prophetic in the truest sense. And it had its desired effect, if you think about it. The claws came out for sure, and the very ones, the very one they were so ready to claim just a few verses ago, they now wanted to throw off a cliff. To be sure, it's a very dangerous thing to get in between a people and their preferred status quo. But that's what prophets and that's what a prophetic community is called to do. But we're never called to go it alone. And Jeremiah wasn't either. 
Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Very important words, y'all. This is what I want you to take home with you. Ready? God says to Jeremiah, See, today I appoint you over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, did you catch the epiphany that burst into the room in that last phrase of that last verse? To build and to plan. Yes, the call of God for God's own prophetic community is often a call to destruct, <laughs> to destroy. It is a call for deconstruction. And there is plenty of plucking up and pulling down to do, plenty of destroying and overthrowing. And let's be absolutely clear, not only did the people of Judah need a little destruction, they deserved it. As the book of Jeremiah will tell us in great detail, their sins were many, starting with the worship of other gods, maybe otherwise known as isms today. They deserved it. Perhaps some people deserve it today. Almost immediately, the worship of those other gods resulted in greed, in a lack of compassion, no regard for those on the margins, and no, no appetite for justice when it meant the evening of the scales. And in fact, the same thing can be said for the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Yep, it was years later, but again, the folks who are supposed to be God's people had forgotten to remember their calling. They too needed and deserved the plucking up and the pulling down, and they would soon get at the hands of the Roman Empire. Destruction, devastation, nightmare scenarios, and death. And not only are those parts of the prophecy they would and they still do become part of the reality. And it won't be the last word. Here again, death doesn't have the last word. Here again, God is doing God things. God is doing what God does. Here's how Walter Brueggemann would say it. He would say the first four verbs are negative for sure. They assert that no historical structure, no political policy or defense scheme can secure a community against Yahweh when the community is under the judgment of Yahweh. The last two positive verbs, build and plant, assert in parallel fashion that God can work newness, create historical possibilities from nothing precisely in situations that seem hopeless. Destruction and devastation and death, even and perhaps especially when we've earned it, <laughs> still doesn't have the last word. That is one of the louder messages of epiphany, and beyond that, while there's most certainly a message that is meant to be received by each of us and all of us, newness is possible even for you, it is at the same time meant to be a proclamation. If at times we find ourselves in the uncomfortable position of the prophet and friends, we should. Detailing for an audience of one 
or 1,000, the consequences of straying from God's dreams for all of us, we must be careful to remember that these same prophetic messages are, or at least can be and should be loaded with the potential of victorious, hopeful, good, and godly endings. I want to take you back to the Oakland days. And the new way of building this team, it actually worked. Well, it didn't work at first. (laughs) To begin the season, they were absolutely terrible. They lost consistently for the first several weeks. But, as Billy Bean says throughout the movie, you've got to trust the process. It's a process. It's a process. And that process, slowly but surely, started to take hold. Eventually, in the same season, the team started to win and win consistently. The strategic changes and the personnel changes started to work, and the results were, in fact, win after win after win. The A's actually rattled off a team record 20 straight wins. 20 straight is still a team record. But the 20th win may have been the sweetest. I don't know where my friend Ben Felder is, but they were, the A's were up 11 to nothing over the Kansas City Royals, and the A's looked to be in good shape, but they lost that lead. They lost that lead altogether and would have lost the game had it not been for Scott Hatterberg. Scott Hatterberg was a money ball special, a catcher by trade who blew out his arm and could no longer throw. And there's this beautiful scene when Billy Bean goes to the home of Scott Hatterberg and says, hey, you are not a catcher anymore. You're a first baseman. I've never played first base anymore. I've never played first base before. You want me to play it in the big leagues? You're going to be fine. Trust us. Now an affordable backup first baseman with a little bit of pop, Scott Hatterberg just waited for a shot. Now his manager, a guy by the name of Art Howe, who was at one time an outspoken critic of the new philosophy and the general manager, the Art Howe guy is the one who finally calls on Hatterberg. Billy Bean had come to the game, but when they lost the lead, he got sick and couldn't watch anymore, so he went to the locker room to suffer alone in the locker room, and then...
Cubs have accomplished what no one has before. They have won 20 consecutive games. not to be romantic about baseball. I just like that line. I just left that one in because I like that line. Turns out for the A's that year, something had been rebuilt, something had, be re had been replanted, and y'all, sometimes it works like that. Sometimes. We, Oklahoma City First, and churches like us, must be, and we are, a prophetic community. Um, not to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't mean that in the left behind sense. But in a Jeremiah sense. Warnings and promises discerned because Jesus, the tangible expression of God's dream for humanity and all of creation, is our inspiration. Jesus is our model and our example, our Lord and leader, our plumb line for you builders and our pattern. We speak up and we speak out. Yes, because of who we are, but more importantly, because of who Jesus is. Amen? And by the way, we are who we are, the body of Christ, because Jesus is who Jesus is, and because it is that same Jesus who calls us to his side to serve, to partner, to serve and love as he does. Love. And so, each and every week, we are reminded of Christ's understanding of what that love looks like. Each and every week, we gather around this table in the hopes that somehow, just by participating, we are fashioned to be people who challenge the ugly status quos out there. We gather around this table so that we can kind of do in a much larger and more important sense what Billy Bean helped to do there with the Oakland A's. There's a better way to go about being alive. There's a better way to go about life and hope and vitality. And we think that the answer and the resource is found right here. Right here. So if you're helping us, please come and set the table for us today. Heavenly Father, we again approach the table. Maybe more aware today than we are on other days, that something is happening to us as we participate. Maybe more aware today that we are being shaped for something, we are being shaped to be people who can take up the posture, yes, of Christ, but also of Jeremiah. So Father, bless these elements. And with these elements, God, make us a little more capable, a little more sensitive to your leadership. Bless these elements, God, and make us into people who kind of understand not just Jeremiah's fear, but also ultimately his confidence. In a moment, 
there will be ushers in the aisles to dismiss you row by row to come down front if you would like. If you would like, you're invited to come down front and approach one of these people holding bread. Come with your hands cupped because what you are going to get in these moments is just pure grace. It can't be gotten in any other way. It is given to you like a gift. As a piece of bread is placed into your hands, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, then this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. Then take and eat that which is supposed to make us more aware of the voice of the one who calls. And by the way, the one who calls also resources and equips us because it is more about God than it is about us. If you prefer, these people in the aisles also are carrying with them some prepackaged elements. And if you'd prefer to take these prepackaged elements, that works just as well. And you're welcome just to stay in your seat and take these elements. As soon as you get them, go ahead and peel it open and go ahead and take and eat and drink of the same bread, taken, blessed, broken, and given in the blood of the new covenant. Or you may choose to opt out altogether. You don't have to come today. You are all invited to come. If you understand your need for grace, then this is the right spot for you. And by the way, I need grace. So if you understand that you need grace, then this is a perfect place to find it. But you aren't compelled to come. You're just invited to come and welcomed to come. So on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread he blessed it and he broke it and he gave us to the disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time, including today, every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way later on he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, this is my blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And so now, all of us who wish to continue to be part of a prophetic community, all of us in need of God's resourcing and help and encouragement and whispering voice. All of us are invited to the table now in its various forms. So, ushers, if you would, start to dismiss people row at a time to come down to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
before turning it over to Pastor Jason Smith. And maybe during these moments when I get out of the way and let you pray your own, when I will be praying my own prayer of confession, maybe, maybe we can let this thought guide our thoughts in our, in our praying. Have I said yes? Have I said yes to the call of God to be part of a prophetic tradition, a prophetic community? I said yes or is it possible that something or someone has intimidated me you're in good company if that's you Jeremiah very intimidated I think we can take it on good scriptural authority that Jesus had his own fears it's good to be together when you're intimidated or afraid right so Heavenly Father hear us now as we pray We open ourselves to you now, mustering all the courage we can. We open ourselves to you so that you can point at those places in our lives that have not yet been fully surrendered, where we haven't yet said the yes to the yes that you've said to us. Remind us of those circumstances, and maybe even those people who intimidate us out of our yes. us that you do come alongside. Remind us that you are the God who both calls and equips and resources. Remind us too, God, that it's not all destruction. It's also a message of building or rebuilding and planting or perhaps replanting. Help us to be faithful to those words as well. Hear this before I turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on all of us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. I want to just invite you to continue to have these moments of prayer as we move towards these words of intercession. Jesus, we ask that you'd come alongside of a few folks in our life who need a specific healing touch from you and ask God that you'd come alongside of my friend and former SNU golfer, Blake Jackson, who had to undergo emergency appendectomy surgery this week. God, would you heal Blake, be with him in his recovery, be with Mandy as she loves and cares for Blake. God, would you restore his body and would you come alongside and be very close. God, we ask that you would take care of my friend Matthew Larson, who undergoes surgery later this week. 
God, would you care for Matthew in every aspect of his life, but especially with his health and this upcoming surgery? Would you take care of him as he prepares for, has surgery on Friday, and in his recovery? Would you be with him in his school, in his life? And God, would you be with him and show him your love? God, we ask that you would come alongside of Evelyn Slothauer has knee replacement surgery tomorrow. God, thank you for the Slothauer family. We ask you to be with Dean, but God, we ask that you would come alongside of Evelyn, that she would know that you are near and that your healing and loving care would be with her. God, we ask that you would be with Cheryl Hall as she continues to, to recover from her knee replacement surgery, as well as our friend Karen Martin, who day by day seems to be getting better. But God, would you be with her as she continues to recover from her fall? God, we ask that you would continue to be with Glenn and Betty Fain up in Kansas and ask that you would be with Betty as she's been in and out of the hospital and that, God, that you would come alongside of her and her family surrounding her in your love. God, we ask that you'd be with all who have experienced COVID, the lingering effects of COVID for some and those who are recovering from that now or have COVID. God, we ask that your loving care would come alongside and you would bring healing and hope for those now and into the future. God, we ask that you would be with those who have experienced loss, those who are going through a transition, those who are lonely. God, we pray for our friends who are incarcerated. God, we ask that you would come alongside of those in our life, God, who we know have cancer. Think of my mother-in-law, Margaret Farmer, who has yet another surgery tomorrow. Our friend, Scott Peterson. God, we ask and thank you for the continued good work in the life of Carolyn Fielding and Bonnie Goodwin. God, as we move towards the Lord's Prayer, we want to just say a specific prayer for our good friends at Nazarene Theological Seminary. God, would you come alongside with President Dr. Jaron Rowell and all the decisions that has, have to be made, but all of the friends and colleagues we have that lead the future of the church, those who are working on their seminary degree, that you would bless the seminary, its place in our world, and you would encourage and uplift our friends who are there. And now, God, in our lives, in these moments, would you transform us as we pray the Lord's Prayer together? Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.